Thank you for listening to our church podcast, where it is our joy to share helpful truths from the Bible. We pray this serves as one more tool to help develop leaders within our church and community who love and honor Jesus and reveal it by loving others. If you have any questions or comments about any of the messages, we invite you to join us on any Wednesday, 6 p.m., for a group discussion on the passages and sermons found here. We'll be reading from the book of Luke, chapter number 4. And we will read it starting in verse 31 and going through verse 44. So that's Luke 4, verses 31 through 44. The verses will be on the, sp- on the screen. If you don't have a Bible with you, I invite you, if you would, to read every other verse. I'll start with the first. And if you could join me on the second, we'll read every other verse. That's Luke 4, starting with verse 31. Says, uh, uh, speaking of Jesus, says, He came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and taught them on the Sabbath days. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for his word was with power. And in the synagogue there was a man which had a spirit of an unclean devil, and cried out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone, what have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee, who thou art, the Holy One of God." And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace, and come out of him. And when the devil had thrown him in the midst, he came out of him, and hurt him not. And they were all amazed, and spake among themselves, saying, What a word is this? For with authority and power he commandeth the unclean spirits, and they come out. And the fame of him went out into every place of the country round about. And he arose out of the synagogue and entered into Simon's house. And Simon's wife's mother was taken with a great fever, and they besought him for her. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she arose and ministered unto them. Now when the sun was setting, all they that had any sick with diverse diseases brought them unto him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And devils also came out of many, crying out and saying, Thou art the Christ, the Son of God. And he, rebuking them, suffered them not to speak, for they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desert place. And the people sought him and came unto him and stayed him, that he should not depart from them. And he said unto them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, for therefore am I sent. And he preached in the synagogues of Galilee. Father, I pray now of these next few minutes that you would bless your word and that you would uh, help me to accurately and clearly teach your word and expound on it. I pray that you'd uh, change our lives this morning, Lord. Help us to recognize your authority and your power as seen in this text and help us everything that we do uh, to magnify your name and to glorify Jesus. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. You may be seated. This morning I do have a title, and it's, uh, the, the title is Call the Authorities. That's the sermon this morning. If you look down at your Bible, if you have it, uh, verse 32, you'll, you'll notice the word power there. It's the word exousia in Greek, which means authority. Uh, the same word is used in verse 36, where you see authority and power. And then in verse 43, it speaks of Jesus uh, and the kingdom of God. The kingdom, all of these are words about authority. 
And we live in a society today where authority is considered a very bad word. I don't know if you know that, but uh, certainly in these last few, men, uh, few months, uh, people have displayed their disdain for authority. Many people don't like those in power simply because of the fact that they are in a position of power. Uh, and as Christians, we should think very differently about authority. Uh, Romans 13, for instance, teaches us that authorities are ordained by God, uh, and we are to submit to our God-given authorities. And this doesn't just mean to submit to good authorities. I've often pointed out that Romans 13, where, where Paul clearly tells us to submit to our authorities, uh, was written during the reign of Nero in, in, uh, in Rome. And Nero was a wicked emperor that persecuted Christians. Uh, he's famously he's known for burning Jerusalem and all these types of things. He did terrible things. And yet Paul says, while that guy's reigning, submit to your God-given authorities. And so uh, whether we like them or not, authorities are given to us by God, and we are to submit to them. So in the normal course, of, now, now there are exceptions, of course. The Bible instructs us if, if uh, authorities tell us to do something the Bible forbids, or if they uh, forbid us from doing something the Bible commands. Uh, obviously, we would have to practice civil disobedience, and that's happened in church history. Uh, but in the normal course of life, authorities are a good thing, something that God has placed over us for our benefit. So if God has established authorities over us and they're supposed to be for our good to maintain peace and order in a society, why is there so much unrest in our nation today? Uh, why is it that authorities have become such a point of conflict? Part of the problem, no doubt, is sinners who refuse to submit themselves to their authorities, uh, the authorities that God has placed over them. But part of the problem also is that the authorities themselves are sinners. Uh, human authorities don't always do the right thing. They, they sometimes, rulers and, and people in positions of power, sometimes misuse their authority and corrupt justice. And so the problems in our world ultimately are always sin problems. As much as people don't like authorities, uh, I think we all recognize that we must have them. There's, there are calls today, maybe you've heard some of this in the news, to get rid of the police. And that may sound like a great idea until they're gone. Uh, because what happens is when we're in situations, when we're in danger for our lives, who do we call? Uh, we call the police, right? We say, call the authorities because we, we need them. And so we, we all recognize, and if something uh, like that were to happen, it would not take long for people to realize that we do need authorities. Authorities are ordained of God to restrict the evil actions of humanity. And when you remove the barrier of authorities, uh, things spiral downward very quickly. So mankind has a, a natural tendency to do wrong. That's what we call uh, man's sin nature. Our tendency is always to sin, is to do wrong. And so God's established authorities to protect us from one another and the evil intentions of those around us. So we know we need authorities, and uh, even, even those who think we don't need authorities, they would change their mind if they were removed. So even though our authorities are fallen sinners who sometimes do wrong and abuse their power, we still understand the need that we have for authorities. I'm, I'm not at all advocating that authorities always do the right thing. I think we've seen displays of that uh, where certainly sometimes authorities do terrible things. However, we still, a, a society cannot function without authorities. So authority is not a bad word. We need authorities. And in our text this morning, we will see an example of how authority is supposed to function. We'll get a glimpse into the kingdom of God. What kind of a king is Jesus? And what will our, our world be like when Jesus finally establishes his visible kingdom on earth and rules over humanity? We pick up our text in verse 31 of Luke 4, where it says that Jesus came down to Capernaum, 
a city of Galilee, and taught them on the Sabbath days. Uh, he came down from Capernaum uh, from Nazareth, which is where our, our last text was last week. If you were here with us last week, uh, we saw Jesus' rejection in his hometown of Nazareth. Nazareth is right here. Capernaum is, is right here on the sea. Uh, and when it says he went down to Capernaum, that's in terms of elevation. Uh, Nazareth is up in the mountains. Capernaum is down uh, by the Sea of Galilee. And so he goes down from his hometown of Nazareth to Capernaum. Capernaum is a city located right on the shores of Galilee. It's a fishing community. It was then, and Peter uh, is from this particular town. Uh, we see here, uh, this is a picture of the ruins of Capernaum. If you go there today, this is what it looks like. And you notice here in the background, this is the synagogue. And this is the very synagogue that Jesus would have taught at. And so there's another picture of it. If you go in there today, you can um, see uh, th this synagogue is especially cool. It's one of the coolest places, uh, I think, in Israel because uh, it was built on top of the original synagogue. So if you look right here, this is the floor, literally, of the synagogue that Jesus would have stood at. And that's a really cool thing, to look down and to think Jesus stood right where I'm, where I'm standing. And so this is, this is a synagogue that we're talking about this morning in Capernaum. And, and last week... Uh, we saw that Jesus enters the town and he teaches in, in synagogues. He went around Galilee doing this. And we see in verse 32 the reaction of the people to his teaching. He's teaching on the Sabbath day, much like he did in our text last week. Verse 32 says the people, uh, they were astonished at his doctrine or his teaching. For his word, his message, was with power or authority. They were amazed at his teaching. He was a powerful teacher. Uh, the last word of verse 32, again, exousia in Greek, it means authority. Jesus taught with authority. It seems like the directness of Jesus' teaching impressed his listeners. Jewish rabbis, uh, typically, when they were making a point, they would support it by uh, citing other authorities. You know, they'd say, well, as this rabbi and this rabbi said, and that's, that would be kind of their foundation for their argument. Jesus didn't do this. Uh, he didn't appeal to other uh, students of Scripture to make his points. He simply said the truth. Uh, without a, a compulsion to appeal to other authorities to back him up. Uh, Mark 1.22 says a similar thing of people that heard Jesus' teaching. It says, They were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. So Jesus was unique in that he taught authoritatively. So that's the first, uh, the first point that we see in our text, is Jesus' teaching was with authority. Uh, next we'll see Jesus had authority over demons. Uh, and this is the first a miracle that we've encountered in the book of Luke. It's also the first demon possession that we've encountered in Luke. And so I thought we might take just a minute to explain these two realities. Both of these are difficult for some of us to comprehend. Uh, some of us are more skeptical by nature. And so when we read in the Bible about a demon-possessed person, I mean, I, I've never seen, I don't think, uh, anyone that was demon-possessed. And maybe, maybe you might think that you have, I don't know. But uh, I've, I've never seen, I don't, I would say I've never seen anything miraculous take place. I've certainly th th seen uh, God answer prayers and I've seen things like that. But when I think of a miracle, I think of something that uh, there is no human explanation for. So yes, you might say oh, the, the, every child that's born is a miracle. Okay, granted. But that's not what we're talking, that happens all the time. Uh, when we say miracle, what I'm talking about is something that uh, absolutely has no physical ex uh, explanation. So like, um, if someone is ill and they go to the hospital and, and you pray for them and they, they slowly recover and they get better, we could say God healed them. But that's different than Jesus saying to somebody, be healed and they instantly are better. Okay, there's a, a distinction there. 
And so what we see here is a, a miracle that Jesus performed. You may have heard of Thomas Jefferson, who, who famously uh, took scissors to his Bible. He cut out all of the miracles in the Bible because he thought it made it less believable. So he wanted a Bible without miracles. But if we believe that the Bible is God's word, we must accept that these miracles are real and that they really did happen. Again, some people, some people have a hard time believing this. I am certainly more skeptical in nature. It's uh, hard for me to believe that miracles happen. Other people are on the other end of the spectrum, right? You know people that they saw three miracles today before breakfast. Uh, it's like every little thing they think, oh, that's a miracle. Uh, but depending on where you are in that, this may be more or less difficult uh, for you to believe. But uh, when we see miracles in Scripture, we have to accept uh, that, that either Scripture is lying or these are real, real events that took place in history, and I certainly believe the latter. As with demon possession, uh, there's a few things that we need to say about this as well. I've heard of all sorts of different theories of demon possession. Some people think every time you get depressed, it's a demon uh, inflicting. I've, I've heard, I heard uh, a little bit ago, I think a couple weeks ago, about the demon of post-nasal drip. Uh, people you know, have all sorts of things that they think, oh, every time you get a cold, you need to cast the demon out of you, right? Uh, that's not what we see in Scripture. What we see in the Bible is that demons, first of all, are real. It, it, it does happen in Scripture as well it may happen today. So demon possession is a, a real thing. Uh, secondly, demon possessions are rare. Uh, in the entire Old Testament, there might be one example of demon possession. That would be Genesis 6, and that's debated. But other than that, there are no demons in the Old Testament as far as demon-possessed people in the Old Testament. Uh, in the New Testament, we see really an explosion of demon possession in the Gospels, and then a couple incidents in Acts. But in the epistles, there's no mention of demon possession. So it seems like around the time of Christ, uh, all hell broke loose against him, and there was this uh, explosion of demon possession that took place. So first of all, demon possession is real. Secondly, demon possession is rare. And uh, thirdly, demon possession is obvious. There's never a, in, in Scripture, I don't see any case where someone is depressed or somebody is, uh, has anger issues and, and it's a demon that caused it. Normally, when someone's demon-possessed in the Gospels, what you see is uh, an obvious display of this. Somebody's uh, ripping at their own flesh. Uh, they have superhuman strength. They're, they're calling out in all these weird voices. They're throwing themselves into fire. Uh, all of these are things that demons do, uh, demon-possessed people do in the New Testament. And so I don't think every time your kid has a temper, he is demon-possessed. I think demon possession is uh, typically more obvious than that. And so it seems that a demon, uh, demon possession is real, it's rare, it's obvious. And what we see in verse 33 of our text is that in the synagogue, as Jesus is teaching, there was a man which had a spirit of an unclean devil. He was demon-possessed. And he cried out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone. Uh, what have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? Notice the, the plural pronouns there. Demons often, it seems that there are more than one demon uh, inside of a person. At least we see that a couple of times in the New Testament. Uh, the end of the verse there is interesting. I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. We'll talk about that in a minute, but it is interesting that even the demons know Jesus is God. Uh, verse 35, Jesus rebukes the, the man and says, Hold thy peace uh, and come out of him. And when the devil had thrown him in the midst, he came out of him and hurt him not. And then this is the reaction of all the people. It says, They were amazed and spake among themselves, saying, What a word is this? For with authority and power he commandeth the unclean spirits, and they come out. So our text begins by Jesus teaching. And the people are amazed at his teaching because he taught as one having authority. And then verse 36, we see he casts out a demon and the people are amazed again. And notice what they're amazed at. Verse 36, what a word is this? 
For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, they come out. They're amazed that Jesus had authority over this demon. He could uh, tell the demon what to do, and the demon had to listen. Uh, They're not even able to speak after Jesus tells them to stop. Jesus has total authority over demons, and this astonished people. They were already amazed at his authoritative teaching, and now they're amazed at his authority over even the devils. So here we've seen an incredible display of his authority and power. It's no surprise then in verse 37 we read the fame of him went out into every place of the country round about. Jesus' reputation spread quickly every time he did these types of miraculous things. And then verse 38, we see uh, an interesting transition in the text where it says, He arose out of the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now, I want to give you one more uh, image, or a couple more images of Capernaum to give you um, a little bit of a context here. You see this octagonal building right here. Uh, This is built directly on top of Peter's house. Now, Peter's house got an upgrade when they built the memorial, uh, but that's the location of Peter's house. Uh, In fact, they they turned it into a church later on. I'll show you a picture of that. But you see the proximity between the synagogue, which is right here, and Peter's house, which is right there. And so this is uh, Peter's house after a renovation. It seems like they put a baptistry in it and actually made it into a church. And uh, even today, there's, there's markings on the walls like Jesus is Lord. There's a little um, mosaic of fish and bread, uh, all these types of things that happened over the centuries. So this is believed to be Peter's house. Um, and yeah, the main, main thing I want you to see here is just the proximity. It's, it's right, next to, uh, right next to the synagogue. And so our text makes per- perfect sense. Verse 38, where it says that Jesus arises out of the synagogue and he enters Simon's house. And Simon, again, Simon is Peter. This is a, a different name for the same person. You may know that Jesus renames him Peter. Uh, but this, this is who we're talking about. He enters Peter's house, and uh, it seems like, uh, yeah, the synagogue's right next to Peter's house. And, and I can just picture uh, Peter sitting in the synagogue, seeing Jesus' authority to cast out demons and thinking, I wonder if he could heal my mother-in-law. And so he, he convinces Jesus to come home and, uh, and to help out his, his mother-in-law. Jesus naturally arises, he goes to Simon's house, and it says, Simon's wife's mother was taken with a great fever, and they besought him for her. Uh, By the way, I just have to mention this quickly. I'll try not to be too controversial here, but uh, the Catholic Church, as you know, believes that Peter was the first pope. They also believe that popes are supposed to be celibate. It's interesting here that uh, Peter clearly was married. Verse 38 gives that clear indication that Peter did have a wife, and so I think that would cause a problem. But anyways, moving on, verse 39, it says, Jesus stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she arose and ministered unto them. Notice the word immediately. This was not a gradual decline in her illness. Rather, it was an instantaneous healing. She went from having a high fever to perfect health. This was truly a miracle. Maybe you've heard of some uh, faith healers on on television and people who claim to possess the ability to heal the sick. By the way, I've been wondering, where have they been lately? Uh, It seems like if if, uh, some of these people could truly heal and had that gifting, wouldn't they have knocked out coronavirus? I don't know. That's just my, my question. But Jesus clearly had a supernatural ability and had authority over illnesses. He could speak to an illness and it had to listen to him. That's the authority of Jesus' words. So we've already seen Jesus taught with authority. Jesus had authority over the demons and they had to obey him. And now we see Jesus has authority even over physical illness. He speaks and the illness obeys. And again, no doubt uh, the news of Jesus' healing spread quickly because Luke goes on to tell us that uh, that night as the sun was setting, all they that had any sick with diverse diseases brought them unto him. So people had heard about Jesus' ability to heal 
And naturally, they brought uh, those loved ones and friends and family that they had that they knew were ill, and they brought them to, to Jesus. And it says that he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Verse 41, the devils also came out of many, crying out and saying, Thou art the Christ, the Son of God. And he, rebuking them, suffered them not to speak, for they knew that he was Christ. By the end of this day, everybody in Capernaum that had sick relatives were bringing them to Jesus for healing. And demon-possessed people were being set free. All of this takes place in one very eventful day. Jesus has authority in teaching. He has authority over illness. Uh, He can heal simply by rebuking the sickness. And Jesus has authority over demons. He commands them, and they must obey. Luke is stressing in our text that this is not a one-time thing. Jesus could heal any sickness, and he had authority over all demons. We see him cast out a demon in the synagogue, and then in verse 41, it says he casts out many other demons that night. Uh, We see him healing Peter's uh, mother-in-law of her high fever, and then in verse 40, it says that uh, people with all sorts of diseases were brought to him, and he healed every one of them. So no matter what the diseases were, the touch of his hand healed every one. Jesus had total authority to heal, and he had total authority to uh, vanish any affliction that was on people. In other words, the the point here is uh, the authority of Christ, that even the sicknesses and even the demons have to obey his orders. Jesus is pictured in this text as having uh, unrivaled and unstoppable power and authority. And the reason Jesus has this power and authority is wrapped up in his identity. You notice the demons, as they're uh, obeying his command to leave, they're crying out and saying, I know who you are. You're the Son of God. You're the Holy One of God. And that is uh, the source of Jesus' authority. The demons knew Jesus was the Son of God. And throughout Luke's gospel, uh, we've really seen numerous testimonies to who Jesus was. We saw the angel Gabriel, I don't know if you remember, all the way back in Luke 1, a few months ago when we talked about that. Uh, Gabriel appears to Zechariah and and tells him about John the Baptist and then the coming of Christ. And he gives testimony to the fact that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. We see Zechariah, John the Baptist, Elizabeth, uh, Simeon, Anna, the angels in Luke 2. All of these uh, people in these first few chapters of Luke are telling us that Jesus was no ordinary human. He was indeed God. And even the demons know Jesus is God. The only people who don't know Jesus is God are liberal theologians. Jesus spoke with authority because of who he was. When an authority speaks, they speak authoritatively. I think that's kind of obvious, but uh, just think about this. When a king gives a decree, that decree is as authoritative as the king is. Uh, The words of an authority carry with it uh, the, the, the authority and the power of that person. And so if Jesus is truly God, and the words that he speaks are God's words, and they are as authoritative as God himself. And I hope you know where I'm going with this. That applies to your Bible as well. We believe the Bible is the word of God, and so that means the Bible carries with it the authority of God himself. Uh, Psalm 138 verse 2 says, I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth, for thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. The Word of God is our ultimate authority, and it is just as authoritative as if God himself were talking to you. I cannot teach with authority like Jesus. I have no authority by virtue of my position as a pastor. I don't know if you know that. I can't just tell you to do something and and have any sort of weight behind that. I certainly have no authority in and of myself. The only way that I can speak authoritatively on anything is by means of derived authority. 
The Bible is our authority because it's the Word of God. And insofar as I accurately teach what the Bible teaches, I'm speaking with the authority of Scripture. But as soon as I stray from that, as soon as I start giving you my opinion, you can take it or leave it uh, because that has no weight behind it. But when I'm teaching the Word of God, that is, that is really the only source of authority that I have. In other words, um, if I stray from teaching the Bible, I've just walked outside the boundary of my ability to speak with authority. But Jesus didn't have to appeal to a higher authority because he was God. He, he was, his identity as God made him able to speak on his own authority. Verse 42, the conclusion of our text says, When it was day, he departed and went into a desert place. And the people sought him and came unto him and stayed him. That means they, they tried to keep him from leaving, uh, that he should not depart from them. It's interesting that uh, the reaction of these people, again, we talked about this at the beginning, but authority and power are bad words in our society. A lot of people hate authority and a lot of people hate people in positions of power. And yet this display of authority and power of Jesus uh, caused the people to beg him to stay because he used his authority and power to help people. He didn't abuse his, his ability. Jesus is the perfect king. And in this text, we get a glimpse of what the kingdom of God looks like. The kingdom of God at work. The sick are healed, the devil's defeated, and people are taught the word of God. And the authority and power of the Son of God will be experienced in its fullness someday. We believe Jesus will come back and he will reign and rule over this world. And at that time, we will experience what it's like to have a perfect person in authority. That's the message of the kingdom of God. This is not an authority to be afraid of. This is not an authority to rebel against, but rather this is an authority to rejoice in. When the people saw the authority of Jesus, they begged him, please don't leave. Now we talked last week, if you were here with us, about Jesus' rejection at Nazareth. Jesus taught in the synagogue at Nazareth, much like he did here, but the people rejected him. They rejected his message. They refused to accept him as an authority. Remember, they said, uh, this is Joseph's boy. He's not our authority. Uh, they did not accept him for who he was. And so they rejected, they rejected the king, and Jesus left them and began to preach in Capernaum. And here we get a glimpse of what happens when people accept Jesus for who he is. The people at Capernaum accepted Jesus' authority, and they reaped the benefits of it. Those who accepted Jesus for who he was got to experience a taste of the kingdom of God. They saw the sick healed, the devil defeated, and they sat under the teaching of the master. And they loved it so much, they didn't want Jesus to leave. And so in these two accounts, we really see a contrast between people who reject Jesus Christ and those who accept him. Those who, ex uh, those who accept his authority experience the blessings of the kingdom. And again, Jesus' authority is all wrapped up in his identity as God. If you refuse to accept that Jesus is God, you are, in essence, rejecting his authority. But if you receive him as he is, he will exercise his authority and power in your life to lead and help you. And submitting to, to Jesus as your king is not a bad thing. It's not uh, something that you should groan at. No, this is a, a wonderful privilege that we get to be subjects in God's kingdom. If you allow Jesus Christ to sit on the throne of your heart and rule your life, you'll not be upset by his reigning. His wisdom is such that he knows better how to live your life than you do. So I invite you this morning to become a subject in the kingdom of God by submitting to him as your ultimate authority. Jesus responds to the people's request uh, when they're begging him not to leave. In verse 43, he says to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, for therefore am I sent. Verse 44 says he preached in the synagogues of Galilee. Jesus was sent to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. That's what the, go the gospel is. It's good news. 
And the kingdom of God is about how people can become citizens of King Jesus, where Jesus rules with authority, power, perfect justice, and love. And as we, as Jesus' followers, are given this same task. Again, becoming a Christian, a part of what it means to be a follower of Christ is to to submit to his authority, that he rules your life. You are a subject to King Jesus. And as his subjects, as Christians, uh, we are commissioned, we are sent out by Christ to spread this same news to other people. Jesus says uh, back in verse 43 that he was sent to preach the kingdom of God. Well, that's our commission as well. Uh, Matthew 28, 18, this is Jesus' last words before he ascends to heaven. It says, he spake unto them, saying, All power, that's the word authority, is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And so Jesus says, I have all authority in heaven and earth, and I'm sending you out. And so if God has all authority and he sends us out, that means we're representatives of the king. This is exactly what Paul teaches in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. We're ambassadors of the King. We are representatives of King Jesus. And we're sent out with the mission of God that that we are to spread the message of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is here, uh, partially. You can become a citizen of, of the kingdom of God, you can have by allowing Jesus Christ to rule in your life. And in the world to come, at the end of our age, you can be a part of the kingdom in its fullness here on earth. Our world is broken, our authorities are sinners, and sometimes they misuse their positions and their power. But there's a day coming when all will be set right. And I think times of chaos like we're living in right now uh, should cause the, the hope of that coming kingdom to stir up in our hearts. We should long for the day when Jesus will rule in our world. He'll be our ultimate authority. No one will be able to challenge his position uh, or his power, and he will rule in perfect justice, love, and peace. And came to, uh, Jesus came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and taught them on the Sabbath days. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for his word was with power. And in the synagogue there was a man which had a spirit of an unclean devil and cried out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace and come out of him. And when the devil had thrown him in the midst, he came out of him and hurt him not. And they were all amazed and spake among themselves, saying, What a word is this? For with authority and power he commandeth the unclean spirits, and they come out. And the fame of him went out into every place of the country round about. And he arose out of the synagogue and entered into Simon's house. And Simon's wife's mother was taken with a great fever, and they besought him for her. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she arose and ministered unto them. Now when the sun was setting, all they that had any sick with diverse diseases brought them unto him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. The devils also came out of many, crying out and saying, Thou art the Christ, the Son of God. And he, rebuking them, suffered them not to speak, for they knew that he was Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desert place. And the people sought him and came unto him and stayed him that he should not depart from them. He said unto them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, for therefore am I sent. And he preached in the synagogues of Galilee. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would add your blessing to the teaching of your word this morning, that you would stir in our hearts a love for you, 
and help us to submit to you as our king, our perfect king, the king that we can trust, the king that loves us and wants what's best for us. Help us to recognize that uh, and to live in light of that reality. And I pray that also as we leave these doors today, that we would spread that message to those around us of how they can uh, experience what it's like to live in the kingdom of God, where God rules and reigns in our hearts, Lord, and where you direct us in our day-to-day living. I pray that you would help that to become more of a reality in my own life. I pray you'd help me in those areas where I don't submit to your rule. Help me to correct that. Help me to be totally willing to yield the control of my life to you, knowing that you won't abuse it, you won't misuse it, but you'll actually allow me to live a life to your glory that is so much better than anything I could live on my own. Pray, God, that you help this, uh, these truths to sink deep into our hearts, help this not just to be words that we say, but truths that we actually believe and that we live out in our day-to-day living. We hope the message you just heard was helpful to you. It means a lot to us that you would join us for this podcast. For more information about our church and meeting times, visit lbcmiller.com or call us at 219-885-9303. We would love to hear from you.